Hello, 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 everyone, and hello. welcome to the next episode of Our Tech Journey. And uh, this is actually the, the first thing we want to announce and mention is that uh, we actually decided to go for a brand together. So you may already realize that Thursday and Wednesday streams are basically the same topic or the same idea behind that. It's our tech journey. You can mm -hmm. see it in the bottom left corner. And it's about all topics regarding culture, engineering culture, about the problems we face on our journey to become a developer, grow as a developer, grow as a tech team, solving problems and all that kind of stuff. I'm really grateful that we're doing those things together. So I'm enjoying that a lot. And yes, just uh, maybe you want to say some words about that. Yeah, it's been really hard merging these brands together because we, we, we noticed immediately that we found something like our chemistry is really good. And I'm really happy to have these streams with you, Adrian. And I already saw at the beginning that, okay, we need to merge something. We need to reshape how this is going because they seem too separated for despite the topics being so related, but we're finally figuring it out, finally make, making it work. We, we're still running our personal newsletters as authors, but this is for the community. So. This would be a mutual brand so that the community can always find the streams in one place. They're still going to be Wednesday and Thursday. Mm -hmm. What's the topic for today, Adrian? AI and the fear of AI, especially AI in relation to developers. Will AI replace developers? And we had some polls running about that. And we've talked about that several times, already mm -hmm. created video content about that, yeah. articles even. And this is not a new topic and it changed. And I can say for me, it changed basically every week. So my perception of AI changed every week. It is mm -hmm. so rapidly evolving. So in the beginning, I was like, oh, AI is not the topic. Everyone was, so one year ago, everyone was talking about that. And I said, yeah, it's just another yeah. thing. a big mistake. So actually, maybe not so much because it wasn't that interesting to that time because it was all closed and stuff like this. But as, as soon as it came out and yeah. I started to use ChatGPT in the beginning, not for development, but for helping me to write things, writing emails, mm -hmm. uh, those things, also, and I, I used it for that uh, because I had a lot of chores to do. And I realized how useful this tool really is. And then some colleagues, some, some of my developers told me that, oh, they started to code with it. And I was a little bit like, oh, it's oh, not a good idea. So we will probably have a problem about that. Uh, but I learned, it, let's say, I learned that it's not a problem. It's actually more like some sort of advantage. Mm -hmm. It was an, an improvement for our entire team. And I started to use it for that as well. And I wrote about this week. I think most in the audience should know about that post, I think. Mm -hmm. And it was about how ChatGPT helped me to develop a mini script application, which help, helps the entire team now, where I was lacking the skill set to do that by myself, and I hadn't had mm -hmm. the time to learn it. And it actually helped. So it was in specifically ChatGPT. So no one is indifferent about that, first of all. And you have those people who are afraid of what does this mean to me in the long term, but in the short term, it's about, I don't know if I want to use that. There are so many thoughts about that, and not all of them are, oh, it's actually a great tool. And I think mm -hmm. today shall shed some light on the idea, what is actually AI for us developers? So yes. first of all, I think we can all say already that it's probably not a threat for us as long as we are, let's say, interested in giving it a chance 
the details about that are quite interesting. So how the adoption is of the developers, what there are pros and there are cons as well. So AI is not like a wild card. So you can't just use it and it's all good. For example, it's a difference if you use it as a junior, if you use it as a senior, for example, if you use that as a writer, if you use it as a developer. And this is actually quite interesting topic. I'm which really excited. Would you like to, which of these would you like to talk about first? Because we have a question in uh, Mark. Mark mentioned that he needs to refresh LinkedIn. <laughs> so get it to work. I need to do it as well because we have a question that didn't show up on StreamYard. Just a quick hello to our live participants. So the question was from Wayne, who's a junior developer. I have written a custom version of ChatGPT and can say for certain this won't happen, which is completely wrong for anything even remotely complicated. So as in the AI is wrong. So the AI hallucinates. I've been using AI a lot. So I opened the floor for the or our live participants, I'm asking, how are you using AI right now compared to how you mm -hmm. imagined you'd be using it? We, we probably watched Blade Runner, Star Trek, Star Wars. There's a lot of AI in Star Wars. And ironically, the Star Trek ship computer is actually getting a lot closer to what AI is doing for us right now. So just mm -hmm. Siri, essentially. But I, I'm starting to realize that the ways that I've imagined I would use AI is nowhere near how I'm actually using it. So I'm curious what, how everybody else is, is using it. Mm -hmm. I would like to mention something though that's going on in the market right now. So a lot of my clients and there's a Spotify thing going on right now. Spotify is laying off 17% of their workforce. And we had this whole open AI terminal as well going on with the board and Sam Altman. I don't want to go into too much detail on that because that's just politics. But there are a lot of layoffs right now in the industry. Mm -hmm. There have been a lot of layoffs this year and end of last year. And people are saying, oh, AI will take our jobs. So one would think, okay, AI is on the rise and jobs are being lost. And I just want to say that this is just a coincidence. Like people are not getting laid off because of AI. There are layoffs and also there is AI. Uh, a lot I of think AI coaching... is not, I, I don't think that AI is far enough, let's say into the software development space now. Mm -hmm. So in the hands-on part, in the operational yeah. part, that it can really have an effect on layoffs. So I would doubt it actually, because mm -hmm. when you take a look, AI is at the moment, some form of co-pilot in my opinion. So how do I use AI? I use AI quite intensively at the moment already. Mm -hmm. So when I do programming, I basically always have ChatGPT open. I have Copilot mm -hmm. and Copilot Chat now. I'm in beta user of that. So the autocompleter of Copilot is great. So I use that primarily in TypeScript. And it was crap in the beginning. I was the what's that for crap? So it's basically mm -hmm. not working. But um, it actually learns. It learns quite fast. And it's time saver. It's just mm -hmm. a time saver. But, and this is very important, I know what I expect as output. It's more like a better autocompleter for me, a writing machine for me. It, it helps you save keystrokes. It doesn't actually yeah. make decisions. It doesn't exactly. make your decisions better. It just it is helps only my co-pilot. So I'm still yeah. the pilot. It tries to predict what you will type, what you have already sprinkled in an intention mind. to be typing. It doesn't actually improve what it is you're mm -hmm. typing. Exactly. And ChatGPT is a little bit different. So ChatGPT is like my pair programmer. Well, my co-pilot is my 
typing machine, let's say, older computer, yeah. then, then she is like my, I just, I really ask ChatGPT sometimes. It's, I even type Same. thank you sometimes. It's weird. but I'm, I'm very nice to AIs. <laughs> yeah, me too. So I, <laughs> oh, oh, who's there actually? And yes, basically when I, ChatGPT helps me make decisions. So it doesn't make decisions for me. Because I tried that several times to how, but it doesn't. It's going into a very different direction of, so I, I still need to be in charge. So basically I am the architect, I'm the brain behind that, but mm -hmm. I need to learn to write down as you do it for developers as well, write down mm -hmm. your requirements, your ideas, your context, what's, what are you about to do and what is your goal? Mm -hmm. What's maybe your feedback or giving feedback is like a feedback cycle you do mm -hmm. with the AI because it's never the first attempt. So you do, it's, it's like a chat. You really discuss it with the AI mm -hmm. and then it becomes a great, yeah, pairing partner. So this is another post, a poll this week where I was really excited to see that many people actually accept that and are interested in that. And yeah. uh, this is the way I, I created this little mini app as well. In the stack, I'm definitely not good at. I was basically creating something. Um, there and I, my, my experience is broad enough to determine if the outcome was good or not. So mm -hmm. this, yes, but the writing about that, I could have done that myself, but it would have taken me way more hours than I just had with AI. And this is the interesting Absolutely. part about that. So this is what I just wanted to say about how I use that. And that is the interesting part, maybe how many of you in the audience today are using it at this, in the same way. And what are your experiences about mm -hmm. that? Because Let's look you, at it. Good. Because we already have a few comments. Sorry, I interrupted you. You are the comment guy today. <laughs> I'm the comment guy today. So we already have a comment from Mark. Mark says, I refuse to use any help, quote help, such as AI that does not produce consistent and same results over time. To have AI generate different codes for each request is unacceptable. Once that is stable, let's see what the next problem is. I ran into similar problems as well. So. When I ask it a too broad question that it doesn't know the answer to, it will just hallucinate and try different things with me. So it's testing me. It's giving me random answers to figure out whether it's correct or not. And I really hate when it's doing that because I find it very unhelpful. So it, it goes from confident to testing me and I don't appreciate that shit. If it was a human, I wouldn't appreciate a human doing that, um, without, let's say without without buy-in from me, let's say. Mm -hmm. I, I had the same experience, but I mitigated that by learning how to query correctly. So mm -hmm. my query was, I still call it query, but actually it's my my discussion style with ChatGPT. It's not yeah. like SQL query. Yeah. The something. wording, the articulation of... Just exactly. So yeah. you, you need to be very precise about what you want. It's like telling a story to other people. It's like mm -hmm. leading people. And I see that actually... Now, let's be serious. Let's step one thing higher. This is what I say now as a technique is when you are not precise, humans will do the same. So you, yeah. you, you just tell them on the floor, ah, can you do this and that and this way... And AI will do that. And next day you get something entirely different. It's the same with AI. And you would, if you would ask a different person or another mm -hmm. day, the same person, you would get a different result as well, because you weren't precise about context, um, about mm -hmm. what's going on in your head at the moment, what's going on in the head of the receiving end in that moment. And this yeah. is the same with AI, in my opinion. So I thought that, especially in ChatGPT, you can set this uh, context settings. I update them every day, nearly. And mm -hmm. just refine that. And the more I do that, the more I refine things, the 
let's say the more excited I am about the actual output. And what Mark said, it was in the beginning for me like that. I, I was only using that for text corrections, grammar corrections, stuff like that. But as more as I understood that I need to be precise about things, mm-hmm. it got, it, it was a real help for me, especially when it comes to code. Um, let's say when you ask for knowledge, it is very, let's say, very random sometimes. It okay. really, sometimes it even lies. You really ask it, is that true? And it says, no, it's not true. And I said, eh, you just lied to me. But in terms of code, it's a little bit different because it's more predictable. The outcome is more logical than actually knowledge is. Knowledge they can are, be... They are... So the rumor is that's what QSTAR is. So AI hallucinates with math. So it, it's, it, it doesn't actually logically comprehend math mm. and numbers. It just tries to predict what the pros behind it is. So the way Ilya mentioned it a few times is that it doesn't really, it's not just autocomplete, but in order to autocomplete the text, it has to understand the world and like, why do people talk like this? Like, why does somebody talk about this topic this way? And Ilya says that by understanding the world, it then understands broadly speaking, how conversations go and why, but it doesn't, if you like really zoom in, it doesn't understand logic. Now the concern is, at least from what I understand from the few insider conversations that are going on Hacker News and on the, mm. on, on the OpenAI Reddit is that QSTAR is supposed to be ChatGPT plus a sort of logical mathematical module. And it might be capable of breaking some forms of cryptography as a result. So that's the concern, I believe, with rumored concern, alleged concern. I don't want to. I don't want to make any unrealistic claims here. Um, it will improve ways... on some point, right? It is always improving, so it's of only course. a matter of time. Those problems we discuss right now are. But po- there is a lot of temporary. There, there's a lot of human processes right now that rely on obfuscation and unplausible uh, encryption, like encryption in the sense that it is unplausible for somebody to break it in a week or a month or a year. And if AI can suddenly do that, then that's obviously a concern because it's everybody has access to it. Anyway, that's a bit off topic, but I, I think that's the sort of idea behind the logical part. If I give AI numbers, it'll just start hallucinating randomly. If I tell it, well, one, one plus one is three, and, and it'll say, no, that's not correct. But I say, yeah, but go with it. So when I say it's something, when I tell it something, when I prompt something that is, if I make a mistake and I prompt it mistakenly, it won't know whether I made a mistake or sort of prompted it on, on purpose that way. And they just hallucinate and go along with my story or sort of role play something out. And it's very hard mm. to keep track of. I, I, I have I a, use, a different, sorry. Yeah, yeah how, how I use AI is I do it for idea generation. So I, I don't use Copilot. I used Copilot and I don't use it anymore. And when I'm coaching, I ask participants to turn it off. Not because I don't like it. The problem is there's the shift going where rather than thinking about the problem, what I often see developers do is that if they don't blindly trust, mm-hmm. if they don't have the best AI, the most expensive tier, the low latency tier, the, and actually trained it on their current data and on their current code base, if we're doing something new and fresh and the AI is not up to par, then they will quickly stop typing to read what the autocomplete says. And it's very disruptive. 
Yeah, yeah, this because I, I want I them to think mean, about yeah. the problem. I want them to think about the problem, and they start typing, and then they look at what the AI suggested. It is a pre-affirmation you don't want to have in that moment. Exactly, and it's it is no. very disruptive, and then they just end up, and then I just it's the equivalent of somebody doom scrolling Stack Overflow looking for the right solution rather than just writing it. But but, but you shouldn't. So this is another topic. In my opinion, you should you should never just start to type. When what, what I do actually is when I need to start a new component, function, method, or whatever, mm-hmm. then I sit there and think about it first. This is what I do. So I don't start before I actually know what I want to create there. And so um, I have a, that before, you should do that with AI as well. So before AI existed, I was one of those weird engineers that I would have the Saurus open all the time. The what? The Saurus. It's a online dictionary. Oh, okay. And Kevin uh, okay. Henry talks oh, yeah, yeah. Kevin Henney talks about this a lot regarding the semantics and the and the and the sort of linguistics of naming things, because if you get the name right in software, you've done most of the work. If you name things correctly, if you don't name things, manager, service provider, something abstract, base, core, misc, util, if you avoid these sort of shallow words, then it precipitates that you need to understand the domain you're working in and use the words of the domain. So oftentimes, I will actually start coding with a higher level of understanding of the let's say the stack compared to the domain so i will ask i used to code in the way that i would open up the solaris and then i would ask for synonyms okay so in this mm. industry what is this called well, what is a person who it's does this action language. manually yeah so for example if i'm if I, I don't want a bank account manager I, i'm trying to figure out who accepts money on the counter what is that person called? Oh, that's a teller. Okay, so maybe the, I'll use that as a class name rather than bank account request service. So it's I used to use it for that kind of for that kind of decision making, but it was very much it was very time consuming because I would like explore. Now I do that with ChatGPT. So rather than asking it to write my code, I ask it to help me reason about the domain to really articulate and nail down the the wording. So I have nouns, I have I have verbs, I have adjectives to be used that are local to this jargon that the domain uses mm-hmm. hopefully also as a complement to having done some kind of event storming or maybe some subject matter expert discussions where we actually use these terminologies and i wrote them down so I, i'm a very good very strong proponent of having a lexicon or having a dictionary for a particular domain like a, maybe not on a microservice level but let's say on an area in your organization mm-hmm. that a certain area in your organization has their own little vocabularies so then I can open it up and I can see, ah, okay, this means that, this means this in this context. Yeah. So that I have this sort of domain-driven design-inspired domain-specific language that I then share this understanding with the AI. Then I say, okay, when I say this word, this, when I say this class, this, so that I have a architectural, let's say, discussion with the AI, not so much writing code. And I, yeah. and I found that to be very helpful. This is what I learned as domain language, domain-specific language. This is all, this is not only good discuss it with your developers, but your Mm -hmm. developers will learn the language which is used by the stakeholders outside of the tech team. Absolutely. This is so another side topic today, maybe. Mm -hmm. But so when you, when you use AI like this, is it for you a form of co-piloting or a form of pairing, like pair programming sessions where, so for for the audience, just a second, a pair programming session, is not just, you sit there together and. No, I don't anthropomorphize it. Like it's me using a tool. 
Okay. I'm not actually having a conversation. When I'm having a conversation, I, I'm, I'm using ChatGPT for that specifically. I very mm -hmm. rarely do it in the IDE itself. I know that's changing now. Microsoft is launching something new just now where you have that, like a, a sort of contextualized at your cursor sort of conversation. Yeah, this is ChatGPT chat, I think. But they're using Bard, right? No, that's Google's. I, I'm not sure. And I, it might be ChatGPT. Yeah, it's Microsoft, of course. Yeah. So I'm not sure what it's called right now. And I use AI in Notion. So I, when I have my cursor mm -hmm. at a specific point, I select some text and I ask, okay, this is going to be a topic for an article. Give me like 10 suggestions for a LinkedIn hook. I, I generate ideas generally with it, but it hallucinates a lot. So it's the, okay. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Okay. I, ha I have that actually uh, quite sometimes when you ask, for example, ChatGPT, let's say a specific framework for a mapping tool or something like that. You yeah. ask, how can I do that? And it, it starts to write you. It, it starts to write exist. you down the code. You, you think, oh great, yeah. I copy that. And you oh, this looks methods, amazing. Those methods and then you paste don't it in, exist. and then it uses library <laughs> commands that don't exist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and this is actually one of those cons. I really hate that. Yeah, I, and I don't trust ChatGPT at all when it comes yeah, to write code kind like of that. No, absolutely not. Exactly. Anjana had a suggestion. I use ChatGPT to review email content. I have to admit, I'm a bit, mm -hmm. I'm a bit behind on the email bandwagon. I, uh, to me, it's obvious that you would use it for email. I'm just hesitant to give AI access to my Gmail inbox. I don't know what it is. It's just some level of superstition of, you know, uh, do I, I want I, I AI think... to have access to this? Uh, okay, maybe. Uh, you know, like, like, I, I, don't, I, don't see, my, I don't see evidence I, I that there's my... actually access to it. So it may be prompting, copy-paste oh, something. Yeah, maybe prompting, yeah. But I, I have this idea of all of my password recovery and single sign-on tokens go to my two, three main emails. Do I want an AI to have access to that? Like wow. to have, like it's, I, I get into those kind of sort of existential questions, especially with the whole, you know, scandal that's going on now regarding open AI being trained on sensitive, copyrighted, protected intellectual property. And then yeah, actually you're not allowed to do that. So when you, and you're not allowed to do that, but actually not allowed to do that. Yes. But it, but even though you're not allowed to do that, there's no litigation oh, you, you and need, they are you doing need, that. You would have need a contract with OpenAI to actually be allowed to do that. So they, That's they... a too broad topic for us right now, but yeah, 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 let's but, assume but... they are doing that without our knowledge. And let's assume they are not doing anything evil with that for now. What I do sometimes is you have screenshot capabilities now as well in ChatGPT and in the newer version, I think. I use yeah. it actually quite often. And sometimes, especially in the evening hours when I get tired, and sometimes I get comments or I shall respond to something which is written in a bad language. Let's say it's yeah. poor context. Sometimes those words I don't understand really in that context. And sometimes I even say, after reading it three times, I give it to ChatGPT and ask, <laughs> what's Explain this, this email to Explain me. this in easy yes, words for me. I do that. And, I do that as well. Yeah. And then Explain I can, this oh, okay, email okay, to me like no, I'm I five. understand what this person wants to yeah. tell me and it, it's actually like that it, it doesn't yeah. matter it's in german and english the same way and um, sometimes oh, it, it's like an interpreter i, I have for to me. admit i have to admit now that you mentioned language chat gpt is by far the best translator yeah it translates much better than any other translating tool that i know so yeah. for slovene to german or like hungarian to slovene like all of the languages are the non-english languages that i speak it is by far the most consistent translator. It, it can, now, I don't trans know, it can I don't transfer. Know 
it can transfer yes. ideas. So and when it can you transfer ideas and easily transliterate them. So I have this, I tell it, you know, here's this German text, summarize it for me in English, and it'll do it instantaneously. And I find that I that I find I don't have that use case often. 99% of my work is English. But sometimes it's really helpful. I get an email in a language I don't understand, and then I just ask it just and I'll reply and then translate it back into their language. Yeah. And I that, that is really useful. Grant mentions it removes the pain and improves the learning. That might be helpful. Learning, uh, says, learning is very important. When you use ChatGPT, and this is one of the interesting parts, sometimes it's annoying that ChatGPT is explaining everything, but I don't turn that off. You learn a lot during this conversation because, mm -hmm. of course, you need to understand and be able to determine if it's right or wrong and a lie or not. But mm -hmm. if you can do that, you can learn a lot about a topic, especially those things behind lines and mm -hmm. between lines. And let's say, even if you thought you know about a topic already, everything, and you talk with ChatGPT about it, you learn a lot of new things, cornerstones, <laughs> contextual things. Yep. And this is what I really appreciate. So I have the feeling that ChatGPT is better than every course actually to do something. So try something out, work mm -hmm. with ChatGPT until the end, and you have learned a lot, actually. And that's quite interesting. Yeah. We got a comment from Anjana. Uh, Grant mentions that Grant is writing his own copilot. So here's a link from Grant. If you mm -hmm. want to check that out. Enterprise Copilot Workshop. I believe this is a template you're following, right? This is the first time I see this. I have to admit, there's a lot of development going on. It's super fast. Mm -hmm. AI, is, AI is changing from month to month. So I can't, I personally, I've given up on trying to keep up with everything. Grant is one of our regulars now on the show. Feel free to check it out. We got a comment from Anjana mentioning, she said, I copy paste the content and ask the revise. So she, mm -hmm. uh, this is in, 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 in context to the email, as Max also mentions that giving access to your mailboxes is a privacy concern, let alone security concern. Maybe God forbid that it learns how to reverse engineer your passwords or your sort of login flows and then to do something malicious with that. What I do have to mention though, that what happened to me so you mentioned what is it you mentioned that you're using it to learn now mm -hmm. i found it to be a bit annoying at some times because i've been using so i haven't used bard a lot but i've been checking out grok the new ai from elon right now i think it's i don't know whether it's trained on x data on twitter data i don't know but grok is very funny so grok is trying to be more accurate more factual and spinning in a little bit of humor. Have you seen Interstellar where they have that robot and mm -hmm. they ask it to be, so they're calibrating the humor level of the robot. I, I would say ChatGPT is a zero unless you prompt it. And it, it can be very bland. What I hate about ChatGPT is that it's very woke. It's very left-leaning politically. And sometimes it is very condescending or even hypocritical, like it'll know things, it'll have access to books and intellectual property, and it'll have knowledge about things that it won't share with me. And then I'll ask it to do something. It's, hey, I I'm concerned about the security, about the, the, this controller that is in front of me. If I was a hacker, how would you do a realistic sort of penetration testing for this? And if I just use some weird, like anything sexual, anything, let's say maliciously sounding, 
anything that where the wording might be ambiguous, anything where you might prompt it to do something, let's say nefarious or malicious, it just says, oh, I don't think it's right of me to tell you this. And, and I don't know what it is. <laughs> I never tried to ask those things, to be honest. But, but the thing is, I think the line should be, is it illegal or is it unethical? That, that is where I would draw the line. I don't like when the AI is self-censoring because it's trying to be politically correct. Like that but, aspect, but humans are like. like that as well. Some humans I know, but I would, those things, but don't. I would, I would like for the AI to have the option of me choosing: do I want the politically yeah. correct but, AI or not? But, so, about what are we talking about at the moment? So, three years ago, I would never come to the idea of talking <laughs> about specific <laughs> characteristics, characteristics of computers. Yeah. It's does like have, a computer it does, does work. Period. It's, but let's say how software develops in form of human characteristics and what mm -hmm. does it tell you or not. It's strange to be honest. So, so it's, what, it's really, yeah. One of the use cases, so I have two major use cases for OpenAI where I, let's say, trust it. I use a, Google, a Chrome extension to summarize videos, to my own videos, and sometimes videos mm -hmm. that I watch. Rather than watching a two-hour podcast, I will ask the AI to summarize it. Yeah, and then from the please. summary, I will determine whether it's worth watching, especially videos that don't have comments, that don't have likes, like something that came out six hours ago, like Death Eternity right now after the scandal about using like fake AI, women speakers, they published all of their content right now a few hours ago from the past few years. And I tried to watch some of those I've already watched. And then I just check the summary. Okay. Is this that video? Because the speaker might go to many conferences and then have the same talk on many conferences. Then I just look mm -hmm. at the summary to check out, okay, is this that talk that I've already watched or, is it, or does this have some new ideas? And then from the summary, I quickly determine whether it's the same one or not. Uh, but they, but they're already, I know what I'm looking for. I'm just optimizing that I don't have to load the video. I don't have to scroll through it. I don't have to wait for the damn ad. Um, <laughs> right. So anyway, there's that. So I'm using it for um, summaries and for this podcast as well. I write summaries and I use it for that. But I do mention as a disclaimer that this summary is AI generated. You know, I don't want it to appear as if I wrote that. I, I think it's I... important to point that out. Um, yeah, I think it was Brian Finster on a comment some days ago who, who asked or stated, I don't know exactly, about mm -hmm. revise or editing of. So let's say, let's assume you have a text and you push it into ChatGPT and ask mm -hmm. to revise the text. So yeah. if you just do grammar correction and slightly, that slight, slight revises, mm -hmm. in my opinion, so in my understanding in German law, for, for at least, it's it totally okay to, to not put credits, yeah. but it's still your idea. Yeah. It's yeah. But if you say, rewrite that text. Yeah, rewrite, rewrite it, it in the tone of English, Joe Rogan. It. it might not be the same. Exactly. Anymore. Especially yeah. when you suddenly see entire shifts in ideas, let's say the spirit of the text is a different yeah. one, Intention. then uh, it's a new text actually. And I think this is the same as you had with, so before AI, there were revisers and editors as well. So if you put a text to a magazine, they have mm -hmm. rewritten it for you as well, but still you were the author of it and not the person who rewrote it. But there is a certain line you should not cross. And this is the same with AI, just maybe, yeah. but I am not a lawyer. So just wanted to have a disclaimer. Yeah, and it's also not enforceable. Like, I, I don't think anybody would litigate right now. 
if you were to sue somebody, I think the process would take so long that they, they would just continue copying everything and just do it from a, yeah. a different country. It, it, it's like touching into a really low latency area of international law. And even if there is a problem, you won't be able to keep up because they, they can just they can just take 10 videos and generate 10,000 from them. And then what do you do under yeah, it's, it's too fast. You need to actually have AI to sue the guys used AI. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and at that point, what's the yeah? Anyway, but, but that's a two that's a two existential broad topic that <laughs> let's not do open you see, up. That do you see a lot of content, for example, on LinkedIn? We are on LinkedIn right now. Yeah, do you I, see, I see a lot of content AI generated. When, just yeah, when I, whenever somebody messages me or comments on my posts, I always wonder: Is this a real person? Is this AI generated? Mm -hmm. Especially women. I'm sorry to say that, but I'm, when you're in an industry that is very much male dominated and whenever there's, let's say, somebody claiming to help me or to be of interest to me, I'm always concerned about, okay, did somebody generate an AI, took a profile picture with AI that might be appealing to me and now they're trying to sell something. Have they gone full malicious? Mm. I always have that in the back of my mind. I know it's not fair, but it's just something about the reality of it. I don't have a, let's say, a sort of correct, inclusive, ethically, broadly applicable solution to this yet. So it's just my immune response kicking in and being very skeptical. Mm -hmm. Of course, it has nothing to do with gender per se, but it's more about this idea of there's so many fake AI profiles everywhere on all kinds of social media. Yeah. What am I really interacting with? Especially when the content that I'm consuming is already AI driven. TikTok especially is notorious for being very predatory in how it sort of mines your attention. It mines your sort of dopamine. Instagram did that as well to some degree. Facebook was the first one that sort of realized that it cannot give you relevant stuff. It has to give you relevant, boring, relevant, boring, relevant. Kick you in the keep you in the loop, and uh, TikTok is taking that to a whole nother degree. Um, anyway, I, I, that's a whole Pandora's box that I, I hope we don't have to go into too much detail into today. I don't wanna I don't wanna come off too political. We have some more comments now. Yeah, so maybe we should go comments. through the comments. And, and no, sorry, I was talking about the two use cases that I use. So I do it for yeah. summarizing video, and then I mention that this is AI generated. That's number one. Number two is. I'm using AI a lot for AI, uh, for idea generation, where I say, mm -hmm. hey, I'm thinking of combining this with that, maybe, mm -hmm. maybe as a business strategy. What areas is this adjacent to? Like what other content creators is this adjacent to? What industries is this adjacent to? What do you call the industry of copywriting for this kind of niche? Does that exist? I use that as a sort of much better Google. And perhaps in a way that, that also ties into me having these kinds of conversations as well with frameworks where I'm not, I don't know why, but some part of me just doesn't get CSS. Like I can write CSS, but it's just making it palatable to the eyes and making, making the margins and mm -hmm. elements and components just feel right. It's just not natural to me. It's a very hard skill for me personally to learn, learn and I never really invested a lot of time into learning this. So I ask AI generally to say, hey, I want this kind of component. Could you just give me the basic HTML and CSS for it? Mm -hmm. And it's very good with that. Now, if I ask it for details, it quickly starts hallucinating and then I stop. 
but for like basic components, a button, a sort of display like this and changing the spacing, I think there's now even SaaS solutions there with builder IO and similar tools where you can just say, Hey, I need something like this. Give me a few suggestions and you pick one and then you, okay, move the button there, make my logo bigger. And then you basically talk to as you, as if you would stand over the shoulder of a front end developer and you're just building CSS and HTML. But there's a chance it'll be a complete mess. Use some kind of framework you don't want to use. But then mm -hmm. at least I have enough rigor as a technologist, as an architect, as an engineer to understand, okay, I know how to separate out the thing that I need from the thing that is now accidentally being introduced. And then I'll clean that up. Mm -hmm. But at least the part where it's about the aesthetics, that really, that to me, that sort of calms me down. It lowers my stress level to use it for that. For everything yeah. else, for code that I know how to write, it actually increases my stress level because it'll probably do a much worse job than I would. Especially because then I, rather than me writing the code and moving on, I have to learn how to prompt it correctly so it'll write the thing that I wanted to write, which is yeah. nonsense, right? Because I already decided what I'm going to write. I'm just trying to figure out whether it can write the next seven things as well in aggregate, right? So for one thing, it's not a good, it's not a good solution. I need to take notes. <laughs> okay, so we had some suggestions. Actually, let me read out those that didn't make it into StreamYard so we don't miss them. So we had a question, we had a comment. So Wayne, we already had. So I know Wayne is not showing up on StreamYard. Mark is showing up. Yeah, so Wayne just, mentioned- just, I, Sorry, just wanted to say for everyone in the audience who wants to participate in the future as well, it might make sense to go into your privacy settings and lower them a little bit. So that it's- yeah, yeah. And then it's able to yeah. display you with your name and your image and your yeah. comment. If you make it very, let's say, very narrow, then we might not be able to show what you've just said. Yeah. If, if you like that, okay. Then... And name are not shared publicly on LinkedIn, then it's not getting synced for us in StreamYard. So I, I don't want to force you to do that. If you would like to, that is an option. And if, you, if that is something that you're not aware of, I'm just helping you be aware of it and then make a sort of qualified decision on that. So Wayne mentions, I think it is great for basic and common knowledge. It can be good for mathematics as well. It can give the same results. You can change that with the API. I agree. So I can teach it something. I can reprompt it, but sometimes just learning how to prompt it well for a mm -hmm. specific context is just a waste of my time. Oh. Shall we just go through the topics to the comments one by one and check them? I am. I'm just filtering out those that, that are, didn't make it to, okay. So Thomas mentioned Thomas that didn't show up in StreamYard. Yes, Thomas, Thomas today is not syncing. Thomas mentions, of course, there will be jobs replaced or companies be closed by the new AI. Also in combination with some technologies, what will come also the other parts of AI all in combination will place a lot of people in the IT creator sector where developers are acting. There will be bigger cliffs from the beginning in development and actually be productive to a company. What do you think about this? I'm quickly taking at the, uh, taking a look at the um, polls we had. Mm -hmm. So um, I think AI won't replace junior engineers. Who was it today? I was watching, I think it was Mira, the CTO of mm. uh, OpenAI. Wait, what's her surname? Mira Murati. So she was on a podcast and they had this conversation about AI where they said the, the basic problem is getting AI from robot to cat to average human, and then from average human to Einstein. Now I know, like now I understand why you have sent me this cat image. 
today. <laughs> I'm a robot. Okay. Now right, I so got the bridge. And the idea with AI is that we know how to get from cat to average human. Mm -hmm. We don't know how to get from average human to Einstein, and we mm -hmm. don't know how to go from robot to cat. Like that basic functionality of putting a machine into space and then it being knowing how to get food and knowing how to interact with other creatures, we, we don't know how that works. But we know cat to average, like we know basic cognition, mm -hmm. but not interacting with the real world and not solving like real hard human problems. Right. So we have that sort of middle part of the spectrum. So junior developers, entry-level developers, it is still that sort of average human to Einstein level work that you're doing in combination with that cat robot to a cat, where you have to interact with the real world, where you have to go and talk to, where you have a task and then the output, of the, the, the next step of your task as a human, as a developer, as an engineer is, I don't know about this pro mm -hmm. problem enough. I need to pick up my phone and call my subject matter expert, or I need to schedule a meeting and talk to my fellow engineers. Like that part, the AI doesn't really integrate with really well. And, and that is a natural next step for juniors, especially in new companies, or maybe it's just a, maybe you're an entry-level engineer and that's where you're headed. I think it, that is a very human problem that AI doesn't even address, let alone solve. So it can camouflage the problem of, oh yeah, of course, you don't know how to solve the problem because you haven't spoken to the human who, who has requested the feature, mm -hmm. but let's pretend what you requested was correct. Here's some example code that you don't understand. Now that's a complete waste of time. And a junior might not know that's a complete waste of time, which is exactly what they need to learn. And then nobody's getting replaced uh, because the AI will not do anything on their own volition without being prompted. And it is that thing about what should be prompted. Should we stop working on this? Should we stop and actually have a human interaction rather than talk to the compiler? That is a sort of basic junior to mid-level journey. Mid-level to senior journey would be then actual deep product and deep business understanding. AI is nowhere near. That's the sort of robot to cat mm -hmm. that we just, the AI doesn't really have a good solution for. Yeah. Um, where so, uh... I, I can't put AI on my machine and put it into Slack and then have it build relationships with other people on the team. No, it's um, like, actually that, um, that would be uh, necessary for that to actually work. So the question was, will it replace actually jobs? And I wrote about it. I just pasted. Oh, click that was a wrong window to paste. Wait a second. I pasted it in the comments right now. This was a post some days ago with as an as an precursor for you, this. You session. posted you posted your feed, not the post itself. I, I don't oh, think you it. meant to do that. No, wait a second. Copy link. In the hurry. So sorry for that. So okay. the second link I post. Okay. In my opinion, what AI is doing is it is a co-pilot and it is maybe a pair programming partner, but it is or it never takes the lead. So we as a software developer, so the programming part, so the hands-on part, really having a finished idea and start to realize this idea in code write it down this writing down this is what the eye can do good not mm -hmm. better than you it can it's basically it's doing that faster than you but not really better than you at best it's an average developer type because it just yeah. learns from the internet but what so what 
AI is not capable of substituting is the software development part. So at, at least it's not now, and I don't think in the next years to come. So what I mean by that is the entire cycle. So we, we had that in the last session. So it so helps with coding, but not with engineering. Exactly. We have the engineering idea, defining mm -hmm. requirements, understanding requirements, communicating yeah. requirements with stakeholders, getting feedback from users, and letting mm -hmm. that influence the way you develop your components, features, methods, classes. This is not, at least at the moment, doable by AI. And don't think as the development progresses, it's not in the near future. So AI is just a very juvenile technology, which is very good in the hands-on part, but not in the engineering part, in the thinking mm -hmm. part. I still think the human mind is still capable of things, not as fast as AI maybe, but in a mm -hmm. way, let's say, way more complex scenario. So we can combine not only development, we can combine business, development, human interaction, even emotions. So for example, a front-end developer, when a front-end developer is creating something, a developer, a human is able to understand emotions and empathy. When I create that, will it be received in a good or bad way? And AI yeah. is just doing that by some logical perception, logical thinking. But this is not how we it's, it's humans trying work, to extract you know? or mine sentiment from its context, yeah. not from like the human space that you exactly. are much more broadly involved in. Like that's a sort of robot to yeah. cat analogy like the cat is in the world it's Im immersed in the world and you're just subconsciously picking up things even if it's hallucinated on your end sometimes i get a message and i'm thinking oh they must be really angry but mm -hmm. they're not angry it's just how i read the message because of how i'm feeling or yeah. what, what assumptions Send i'm making. a receiver pattern yeah exactly yeah and this form of dialogue especially asynchronous so we create something the front-end developer, the designers creating something and we're getting feedback, working on that feedback. The way we get feedback mm -hmm. is still an understanding between humans. And this is something the AI is not capable of doing yet. Mm -hmm. And I think and this is very important to understand. I, I often talk about this. We need to differentiate the act of programming and coding and the software development or engineering, call it like you want. So the process of creating or iterating changes and um, progress this is a different thing from programming itself and programming is doable by the ai already but the other part isn't so when it comes to for you now the audience especially junior developers you yeah. of course need to learn to program but in 20 years from now no one of us will probably program anymore we, but we still be software developers i think i hope <laughs> but um let's say you need to focus more on the human side of things, on the project management, mm -hmm. feature management, communication, feedback cycles, and all this kind of stuff, those more mm -hmm. higher level things. Programming is just a vehicle we need to use at the moment. There are no code solutions out there already where software developers are developers yeah. without coding. It's possible already. We had Brian Finster on the show last week, and he had a very good quote, not in the AI realm, but still on the engineering side, where he said, if you don't understand, if you don't deeply understand the business problem we're trying to solve, we're ineffective as software engineers. It's like telling somebody that you're a civil engineer because you understand how concrete works, mm -hmm. but you don't understand the problem of crossing a river. I think this summarizes very well the predicament that we have with, with this question specifically, that who has this role? Where's the rules? Yeah. Adrian, how, how about upper management? 
project managers, product managers, product owners that think they can fire most of the team and use AI to do their chores. <laughs> we have this funny notion out there that, hey, we are safe because business stakeholders cannot define their requirements well. Yeah. And yes, it's like that. Business can't define them for tech. So this is the reason why we have product owners, CTOs, POs, those kind of persons who translate those things. But I never come to someone right now in, the, in this area who said, oh, great, with AI, we can lay off people. It is more like not the employees itself, but sometimes, and this is what I saw often is, especially, for example, marketing agencies who, yeah. let's say, copy text and yeah. this kind of yeah. stuff. Those to, are, let's say... I, I used to work in ad tech yeah. in the early 2010s where we didn't really have these tools. And one of the most important features that I saw most ad tech SaaS companies implement was I have five taglines and seven images. I need all possible combinations and then do conversion rate optimization. So this idea of A-B testing permutations of different combinations of text and picture. Now you can even go to the extent of not having to have the human supply compatible mm -hmm. text with pictures, just have an AI generate 90 of them and you pick six. Mm -hmm. So I think for that kind of anything permutation related, AI might be a accelerator to the manual labor part of a human coming up with 60 different ideas. Yeah. But then you still need a human to read it and to verify it. And that is the other comment from Max, also one of our regulars. Max, it's been a while. Glad you could make it. For the code, I know I can write correctly. I'm afraid to give the task to AI. And I agree with this. If I already know what I want, it'll take me more time to prompt it the way that I want it. Because it's basically write mm -hmm. this thing in Dennis's style. Because <laughs> it doesn't understand my style. I would now let's a practical experience. So I use Copilot in the JetBrains IDE. So I, I don't even know if it's if a difference between VS Code or JetBrains. I don't know IntelliJ. Uh, but um, sure. for example, let's say a very specific. It is ChatGPT. It's ChatGPT either way, but it's, yeah, yeah. it might be a different. The, for example, if there is, let's say, a typed class, type JSON object, a state maybe, and you just want to have selectors for that. It's a specific thing now in a front-end development. And, uh, yeah. and, and if you then, for example, if it, the co-pilot learned how those things work, you basically mm -hmm. can add a property and it writes down the entire selector getter setter for you yeah. basically in a blink of a moment. So all this chores of... of typing this down is basically blown away. It's, it's just not there anymore. It's mm -hmm. basically a very advanced form of auto-completion. And this is where I yeah. uh, take advantage of the of the, um, the co-pilot. So you, you said basically those those simple worker tasks, you, meant, you described it like that. I would say the chores. What I don't like, first of all, you mentioned that beforehand, the things you don't understand really, it can help you progressing there. And the other mm -hmm. things is that nasty work, which is a lot to type. For example, sometimes you need to work in JSON. Formulas in Excel, for example. Yeah, yeah. I, what? I, I can't for the life of me remember them because they have a really non-engineering phrasing to them. Mm -hmm. If statements are not if statements. The queries are not how you would type queries. SQL is not SQL, doesn't have a select part. So when I'm typing formulas in Excel or Google Drive, I will ask the AI to give me the formula because otherwise I need to go and read documentation. Yeah. And, and I would then... rather express to the AI what I want to find, what I want to write, so that it does it for me. 
and I, I will ask it to explain it to me so that it'll then look up the documentation and then pull out those two pieces of two different pages that I now don't need to read. And then it will put it to me on screen. Now, sometimes it does hallucinate yeah. and it gives me some kind of API. If I'm asking it to do something that doesn't exist in the API, it'll still give me a solution. It'll hallucinate. So I still have to be skeptical about that. But if I know- You always be skeptical, always yeah. be. If I intuitively know that it'll just take me a long time of just browsing, I don't even know what to Google. That That is already a good example. If I don't know what to Google, <laughs> yeah. if I don't know what to type into Google, I will tell the, the I will tell ChatGPT what I want to do. I want an Excel spreadsheet that summarizes this compared to that. I'm doing server analysis right now. And I, my statistics is like the last time I did any kind of statistics training was like 15 years ago. And I will ask it, okay, what do you call when I'm doing correlation like this and this? Oh, it's that equation with that format. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that existed. Does Google Drive have a function for it? So yes, it does. So for that kind of work, it's for exploratory, right? So documentation reading, it's very helpful because it can sort of quickly yeah. guide me in the right direction. Because otherwise you need to know, what do I prompt to Bing? What do I prompt to Google? What do I prompt to Bart? What do I prompt? What do I type into the search engine to actually start my learning path? Sometimes you're just starting the wrong direction and then just go down a rabbit hole. Mm. And I, I find ChatGPT corrects you on that much faster. But it, you quickly come to the area where you lack the knowledge to verify whether it's hallucinating or not. Right. So Balaj mentions the same thing here. I'm not a very good talker, praiser, etc. I use AI sometimes to help me out, but I rarely force something that is not personalized to the person or content. It's a tool. I use it to help, to learn. I don't mm -hmm. want AI, AI, AI to replace me or my talks. I that's, that's very important. So um, let's yeah. say, let, let's be honest. Um, Balaj is a content creator as well. We mm -hmm. are content creators. And as soon as we would start to use AI to, first of all, get the idea, formulate the idea, write it down, correct it, and post it, we can go home. Yeah. <laughs> it is, it is, and then every post would sound the same. This is a big flaw of uh, ChatGPT that you really see when you work a lot with ChatGPT, you really see who's using it to post and who's not. Uh, because the, the, the style is always the same. If you don't prompt exactly what you want to have, it is always the same. And what ChatGPT, as you said, it's very woke. Mm -hmm. And um, it is the same way when you talk about things. It is very shallow. So you can tell it, it to be catchy. And then it's overly catchy that, oh, yeah. God, you can't read that anymore. One million of, of icons in there. And it's not good. So it's it, it doesn't fit. So... It, it's not possible really to do something mm -hmm. with that. And it's good because especially when writing, when you are a good content creator, so for example, a newsletter, let's say two free, two free pages, something mm -hmm. like that, let's say 4,000 letters or something yeah. like that. If you are I, a good writer, I, I, I thought it would make me this sort of super content creator where I could just use AI to churn mm -hmm. out newsletter articles. It, it can't. It no. just produces. It's garbage. shallow. You don't just, want to read it yourself. It, it produces <laughs> exactly. It produces articles that I don't enjoy reading. It's more like a documentation for. And, and then yeah. if I invest time to make it better, I'm investing time into how to prompt it to write better content. But in doing that, I actually have to think and write the content so I know how to prompt it, which then it creates this <laughs> problem of wait. <laughs> If I have to think about what I'm writing, I'm already writing, so it's not helping me. It would only help me if it would replace the sort of cognitive load for me necessary to write a book. I'm now trying to refresh my TDD booklet. We have a TDD discussion coming up in the next few weeks. 
I want to refresh my booklet. And it's I, still the same problem. I have to sit mm -hmm. down. I can prompt it for ideas. But at the end of the day, I have to read everything it writes to me. Right? Yeah. So the, the problem isn't so much that it's not helpful in writing. It, it is the standard would be where I trust it the same way that I would a human, where I yeah. give it a task and I will trust it. <laughs> but I would say it's your responsibility now. You write it and I won't verify. I will only verify it if you ask me for feedback. Right. And it ChatGPT doesn't behave like that. I, it doesn't have any accountability. It doesn't have any responsibility. So whatever yeah. it produces, if I tell it to produce a, a three page article, guess what? I have to read that. And if it sucks, it's going to be, it's going to suck to read it. Mm -hmm. And then I have to figure out what to prompt it to change it. And then it's just throwing the dice. It just, Hey, randomize. No. I don't, so, I don't even know how to give you feedback. Just It's just a no from me. And then I don't really know how to drive it better. I didn't have to learn how to write it better. To bridge the gap now back to development, because we drifted now into content creation, which is yeah. not the topic today. But sure. so when you have it now to make the bridge, actually, I believe. In content creation, it's like when you say ChatGPT, tell ChatGPT to create a story for you, for example, or give a little bit of context and yeah. that. Then you just see that this is not your style. This is not your thought. This is not exactly. how you would put it in front of an audience, in, in, in a discussion with someone, on a call with someone. It is and not my like... audience knows. My exactly. audience will recognize that it's not me. This is the same with software development as well. So you need to be careful that AI is not programming for you. It shall mm -hmm. enable you to do better. Yes. And this is what how I see it. So you are still in charge. You are the pilot. The co-pilot is only helping you to make mm -hmm. it better to learn, to assist you, to avoid mistakes. Maybe you sometimes mm -hmm. you say, where's the problem? And then this thing just helps you getting you to the point where the problem is. And this Absolutely. is the same. So um, it is your spirit. It is your style. It is your knowledge. And you are still the software developer. And this is just a tool. Um, and so don't, especially juniors now, for all the juniors in the audience, it's very important to not learn in a way that it dictates you what mm -hmm. you need to do and you just say oh i'm inferior the idea the ide or the, the chat gpt thing does mm -hmm. not does know more than i do so i mm -hmm. just simply accept that this is wrong i had that in my own team where i saw uh, there, there was a little there was a, just a split of a string so just split the string the idea was very simple but ChatGPT took a wrong context and created a whole very overcomplicated component to do that instead mm -hmm. of just using dot split. Method. split yeah. And um, those things is this is very important to understand that ChatGPT is not a teacher for beginners. It's definitely not. You shouldn't yeah. do that. And um, it is a good helper if you are already in progress. So it doesn't no, I actually. It's a very good point. If you don't mind me interjecting here, because we did say yeah, it's good already for learning. Did. No, <laughs> right. So we did say it. We did say it's good for learning. Sorry. The, the the problem is that it can be very good for learning if a senior prompts and then a junior reads. Yeah. But if a junior prompts, then you are you need to at least understand what it is you're looking for to learn. Otherwise, yeah. it'll just respond back in the same level of knowledge that you currently have. Right. So you would need to know just slightly beyond your current level of let's say practical application. So your theory would have to lead ahead of your practical ability so that you would know what to prompt in order to learn. Yeah. And that is the sort of natural learning path. Yeah. But I, I would to, to build something on that. Yeah. yeah. 
So for example, I've mentioned the, just to, to bridge that, you just mentioned that and let's get back to the example of the split string. So if you prompt ChatGPT, I don't know this language and how can I split a string in this language? This is very precise. So there is not much room of hallucinating. You get that, you will be able to test it and you will see that mm -hmm. it actually works. But if you ask, oh, how can I solve this problem? I need to, I got this requirement, I need to do that. As soon as you are in this stage, mm -hmm. you are in the requirement stage. You are not in the programming stage. Yeah. You mix then something which where the AI is not good at. And as we saw in the beginning, this is then the software development part planning things, yeah. architecture, all this part. kind of stuff. Yeah. And this is something you, as a person, need to learn and use the AI to aid you, but exactly. not telling you what to do. AI is not capable of doing that yet. And ironically, that's the thing juniors struggle with. Like juniors yeah. are juniors because that's what they're struggling with. And mm -hmm. even John mentioned this very well. I find the most helpful usage of ChatGPT has been when I supply very specific context and make yeah. the question closed. The more well-known the context, the better the results, which means that it is your ability to close the context, to make the question close, to close the question, the answer space, and to very specify in fine detail, to articulate what it is exactly that you're solving. That is what makes a great developer, a great senior engineer. If you lack mm -hmm. that ability, then for you, OpenAI, the way you prompt it, OpenAI will, ChatGPT or other products will very likely hallucinate for you. And then depending on the majority of the large language model, It'll, it might hallucinate very quickly or only when you go super deep on down, down a rabbit hole. But at least that's a, this will improve, I'm sure. But right now, it's nowhere near being able to replace a full engineer. Let's no. see, what else do we have? There's a Hidul. I did some work with ChatGPT and Copilot, but after a few days, I can't figure out the code myself. I have to read the code again and again. If I had written my own, I would not have had to read this problem for maintenance if any of you have faced such a problem or not. Adrian? Still reading. I try to understand if Zahid just have the problem to read the code of ChatGPT or the code of yourself. So I basically have sometimes a problem of reading too complex code I wrote myself. It is, you always lose context. So maybe as upfront to say, this is the reason why I want to write my code as dumb as possible. So very clear variables, not too much in one-liners. I hate long one-liners. They're too complicated for the average mind to get mm -hmm. quickly. So yeah. I rather go for several lines. It's better yeah. in a team with the mixed things as well. And when I think of, I take an entire thing, which is done by ChatGPT, I would say, let's assume the example I've had in the very beginning. If I would read the text now or the mm -hmm. code now, which was generated for me, I mm -hmm. wouldn't understand it right now because I'm out of context and I'm mm -hmm. out of skill set as well. It is just like uh, this approach was more a form of no code approach, mm -hmm. which I would say is if you want to still be able to maintain your code and you want to be uh, want to have this code maintainable for yes. your colleagues, write it yourself and only use ChatGPT Copilot as a tool to aid you, but and do not let it write it for you because it's, it might be hard to understand. It, and that brings us into the whole TDD discussion that we're having in the next mm -hmm. few weeks. But before we open that topic, Hidul did reply. He did give us some more context. Mm -hmm. He's, he mentions he wrote the code using ChatGPT and Copilot. My targeted task worked fine that time. 
-hmm. But when I went to add some new functionality after some days, I don't understand what I'm doing here. I had to spend a lot of time to read the code. If I write the code, I can understand and the maintenance is easy. Have you had to face such a problem? I think that's what you described. Yeah. That, that is, it, it's not maintainable. Like it'll solve the problem, but it doesn't understand the wider engineering context. So it won't make it testable. It won't make it in maintainable. It won't make it express the minimal idea and not separate. It won't separate out a behavior from implementation. It'll just try to sort of solve the problem in, a, in as, as, as few lines of code as possible. And sometimes mm -hmm. even that it will hallucinate way too wide. So when we program, uh, to develop software, we should have qualities in mind, like maintainability. Yeah. And you know, you always work in a team. Most of us work in a team in a professional sector. So, yeah. which means you always should write the code that another person should be able to understand it without any hassle or effort. So as low effort as possible, because you in one week are another person as well. So you will have problems, a hard time understanding your own code. And this is what I've done wrong in my past as a junior quite often, that I was thinking who, who wrote this and it was me. So, you know, the typical meme of software developers. And today it's different. So I still have a style now and I understand my style is good. It's developed over two decades now or more. Mm -hmm. It's working quite well. And this is what I can recommend to everyone. Work on this, let's say, yeah, quality. When we say about quality, most people understand quality wrong. Quality is a definition you do before and you try to get to hit that quality. It's not like how good you were. It is basically you measure quality, how far away you are from the actual target. Quality is under -engineered. a strategy. It's not a plan. It's the same thing with business. It's a goal, actually. It is a goal you set beforehand mm -hmm. and then you land over or under it. At best, okay. a little bit over it than under it. This is the poor definition of quality. And we, we use it as humans differently. But when we say we want to have a quality, which is my team is able to read the code without any effort. So this is, say, let's say, okay. non-mathematical uh, thing. And, and another re person reads it and you... There is a, there you, is a you, shared you, understanding. Yeah. There's a shared culture. Somebody with this shared understanding and with exactly. this culture should be able to read it easily. And when you would see your colleagues reading the code, you, you sit next to you and the person does not have problems, you met the quality. Yeah. If the person sits there and says, what is it? And you even see that the person is assuming something different because it's too complicated, making yeah. a mistake right now, you are definitely okay. under engineering in that quality. And this is okay. the same with AI. You cannot predict if the AI or it's hard to predict that the AI was actually meeting the quality because the AI doesn't know the quality you have defined for your team, which is the reason why I wouldn't use AI for that. So mm -hmm. you still need to be able to determine, have I met the AI, uh, sorry, have I met the quality or above, but never below. Mm -hmm. Michael mentions this, when AI replaces developers, does this mean that humans can figure out how to give AI a way to determine context? So if I flip the question around, once you determine, once you help the AI determine context by itself, will that be when developers start getting replaced? When AI replaces developers, does this mean that humans have figured out how to give AI a way to determine context? So it's this robot to cat analogy. So, you know, Practically speaking, Michael or Michael, I think it's Michael, US-based. Mm -hmm. Michael, I, I would say, th think about it this way. Like who, 
a, a product engineering team is mm -hmm. a mature, successful, high-performing product engineering team is self-managed. And we have a whole conversation about that tomorrow, about how to go from junior level to that sort of state of self-management. You will see a very good example of this in Valve's, Valve Software's, the people who run Dota and Steam and everything, Half-Life, the creators of Half-Life. They have a very flat company hierarchy. And what that means is that Gabe Newell gave a talk about this some few years ago. That is that everybody should understand business. There aren't any knowledge silos and everybody should be a self-managed professional. Everybody should be able to produce some kind of management ability. If nothing else, to manage themselves, to manage their own time, to manage mm -hmm. their own emails, to manage their own way of how they work and who they work with. And that should be the responsibility of each professional, each individual professional. Like I said, you shouldn't infantilize it. Like we are in a kindergarten that, okay, this person is junior. So they are not allowed to talk to that VP over there because they might embarrass us. Like that, 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 that kind of siloing just, just puts a ceiling on everybody's ability. And it just, that's really that sort of factory worker, the sort of servants, peasants, and the, the landowners relationship that the sort of, I don't know the middle ages to the industrial revolutions had to deal with mm -hmm. um, and that capitalism was the solution to that. So like you either take on risk and you build a business or you take on labor. Like you, you help somebody who has taken on risk to de-risk their business by you providing labor, right? So it's mm -hmm. this, that's the idea. Now, the problem is engineering is a very risky profession because it is very chaotic, right? So the mm -hmm. solutions that you're producing are changing. The problems are the same. So the, the problems that you're solving in software are usually the same. It's the context that is constantly chaotic. And we can, we can, I can give you a machine that can produce very predictable controllers for a very specific kind of REST API. But it's the business context surrounding that, that that facilitates, okay, what level of detail do I need and what guarantees and how and what server, what other details do we need to flesh out? That's the hard part. That's the, it is the architectural decisions that are difficult. And as long as those aren't automated, as long as you don't do this sort of cat, the robot to cat translation, where the machine itself could take on risk and responsibility and accountability, I don't think there's any risk of engineers being replaced. There might be, let's say, uh, matters of capital efficiency, where we might say, okay, instead of 10 engineers, I'll have nine and pay this very expensive ChatGPT license. Maybe. Because ChatGPT, one of the problems with ChatGPT is that it is extremely power inefficient, right? So it takes a lot of compute to keep the cluster running because it runs on a large farm of GPUs and they are expensive to create the GPUs themselves. Mm -hmm. They are expensive to run. They need to be cooled. They need a lot of power. And they are expensive to orchestrate. Like you need, you can't just have one server for an LLM. You need to have a large farm and then hopefully service many customers at the same time because it is not being utilized all the time because the, the rate at which a normal human would ask it questions is very low. So you, you would ideally want across the globe sort of utilization to make it cost efficient. That's the real problem. Like at what point will somebody say, I'm going to fire an engineer to buy an IBM mainframe and run our own AI on it? And I don't think we're there per se. I, I think these budgeting decisions happen naturally right now. I might say, are we gonna- I, I still don't, 
I still don't see the the capability of AI to actually substitute the entire idea of a software engineer slash developer. So even if you would have the money, let's say you don't have budget or financial constraints, mm -hmm. you don't have them, no, no technology constraints, still the AI is not a human. It's mm -hmm. still artificial intelligence at best. It has to be prompted by somebody. So who is prompting it? But yeah. let's say you replace your entire engineering team with an AI. Mm -hmm. Who is writing the prompts? Are the exactly. AI prompting each other? Yeah. Because that might be the solution. But then, you know, what human does this terminate with? Like what human sets off the chain of prompting? Is it the uh, PO? Then the PO needs to become a really good prompt engineer and engineer. But then, I, I think then you have to fire the PO and hire another engineer who would will program the AI cluster. So you always come back to an engineer because only yeah. an engineer will know how to prompt it. Exactly. I think we are all too much influenced by Terminator movies and Skynet and stuff like this. And <laughs> that, that Elon Musk was telling that, yeah, it will be awful and stuff. But still we are humans and we have a instinct to survive. And That's I fair. think that we will keep AI low on some point. So I think... <laughs> It will be, it will be always be kept as a tool. It will be better. And, and on some point, it will be like the idea of no code solutions that are out there. They are, let's say, very immature solutions out there mm -hmm. for just very narrow use cases. On some point, software will be developed as a no code solution. I'm pretty sure about that. Yeah. So let's yeah. say all the, let's say we don't have high level programming languages anymore. We just have fifth generation or even sixth generation languages later on, which are doing that for us. And we only do the prompting, but still we are software developers because, and this will not change, software is written for humans by humans. And the, mm -hmm. the feedback cycle is between humans, not between AI. The user will not give feedback and the application will change because stakeholders and all this kind of stuff want to have that randomized thing inside there. I don't yeah. think this will happen. Maybe I'm wrong. In, in 20, 30 years, the entire image is different. But mm -hmm. for the next five to 10 years, I'm pretty sure we will get to the point where we have some form of AI-driven no-code solutions out there. This is what so I think. Grant has a good point. Like for, okay, just to read it out. Infrastructure as code and logs, AI co-pilots must be useful here as well. You could turn images mm -hmm. into HTML and use that to check your architecture. Lots of small skills leads to larger gains. And I agree, using it for tools like this, mm -hmm. and I would even broaden this grant has touched on a really important part here, is that I already mentioned that I use OpenAI to, to do video summary text summaries of videos. So it is OpenAI and sort of LLMs in general are very good at bridging the, the medium barrier, right? So when I go from video to audio medium, when I go to audio to text medium, when I go to text to audio medium, when I go from text to image, right? So I write text to draw an image. I give it an image so that I can create text. I give it a video so that I can create text. Now with, with things like Synthesia, I can give it text and it will create video and audio of a person reading the text or speaking the text. So I think that mm -hmm. is where AI improves the most. Because this whole idea of I write something and then it produces something that I need to read, it doesn't help me. Like it takes me time to read books. Yeah. So if I write it something, please do this task and it performs the task perfectly, but it performed the task perfectly by writing 600 lines of code. Guess what? Now I need to read the 600 lines of code 
and I need to understand it because I will be accountable for whatever happened. So if anything, TDD related, I would say whenever you're using AI to write something, I would say, and somebody mentioned this, but I don't know if it showed up on StreamYard. It didn't show up on StreamYard. Somebody mentioned Leandro, Leandro Santos. I've been using ChatGPT to write unit tests and optimize my code for me with great success. So this is a, oh yeah, we have it. Oh, I see. We don't have the profile picture. Sorry, Leandro. Yes. Great comment. I've done this as well because one of one of the things, and I mentioned this to John as well. John posted about this last night. John Gallagher. Um, one of the things we do on my coaching sessions with like very much rudimentary TDD skills and TDD workshops is engineers often don't have the vocabulary to express their tests. So I, we start step zero is write down the nouns and the verbs of how the business explains the feature we're building. And then I'm then I, then I might ask ChatGPT to say, okay, we have these words. Try to group them together. Pretend that you're like a, a subject matter expert in this domain, and we're doing an event storming session. Try to group group these concerns together. How they would make logically, how they would make logical sense, and create an UML diagram or create like a context mesh for me. Mm-hmm. Like that's really helpful. But that's again that that's discovery. That's exploratory. I'm prompting. To have it generate some image, it might hallucinate, but it might, it might help me cluster certain ideas. It might help me extract or generate more text or categorize text or extract patterns. Or, or I might ask it, give me 10 title suggestions and three keywords for each in a two, two column table, please. And it is then very good at grouping data. Yeah. I, I often use it for that. And I, I often would say, I'm building a feature like this. Give me, give me 10 suggestions of what tests to write for it, starting from simplest to most complex. That might be very helpful. If, if you have no idea about the context, that might be very helpful. But if you already know what's going on, in the, specifically in the domain, in the product, you might run into hallucinations. Or rather, with the really hard problems that at your level you might need help with, the AI will just hallucinate and you'll, you'll be wasting your time. So we covered that. <laughs> Max mentioned we need a John Connor save the world. <laughs> Wait, Leandro has another comment. I think one of the outcomes of widespread use of AI will be that projects will require fewer people to do the work to do productivity gains of AI. I'm a bit skeptical about this actually. Do you have the polls, Adrian? Can we look at the polls? Because the polls did mention this. Yeah, uh, which one? I think one of the outcomes of widespread use of AI will be projects will require fewer people to do the work to do the productivity gains. I think productivity was it your poll or my poll? I don't know. A future coding partner I have here. I part of your development toolkit. Let me take a look. I think it was one of yours. I think it was one second. Of yeah. AI impacted coding efficiency and yeah. how often and do regularity. You yeah let's say coding efficiency i have it here not right now okay so we have wait a second yes give me one moment let's look at the poll results as we mentioned them present slides oh my god i never shared on this google slides where no no it's just a screen yeah 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 okay it is hopefully that one it is how has MI impacted your code efficiency? And most said slightly increased, about 60%, uh, and 24% said greatly increased, and mm-hmm. just 16% said no effect. And yeah. we're talking about eight, um, 82 people voting on that. And so yeah, I, I would say that there is definitely a tendency to say when you use AI, 
you are more efficient. It's, it does execution. feel great. It does feel great to have code appear with less typing, but we need to understand that it's not the, it's not the writing of the code that takes up the most time, right? Mm -hmm. So the, we're talking about coding efficiency here, but it's on a team. I would never optimize coding efficiency because then I would, then I would help them learn touch typing. Like I, I never do touch typing exercises on my coaching sessions, even though I know that it would help people write code faster because it is such a small part of their work. Now, if you're typing really slowly, if you're writing 40 words per minute, let's say as an engineer, then I would ask you to practice that to get up to 70, maybe 90 words per minute on a keyboard. Because at that point, you're just even just writing basic bash commands in the console and the terminal, it's just going to take forever. And if you're pairing with anybody, it'll just feel annoying because you're the slow typer. Um, you, but, you should be decent in typing, but we had that what, two years ago. Or, or um, rather, I would say what you should be really focusing on is typing accuracy. Accurate, so being able to right. blindly type on the keyboard while having a conversation with somebody and not make a mistake, not make a typo. Yeah, but There's nothing more worse type. than writing code, hitting save and refreshing in the browser. And then when I'm pairing with somebody, I tell them, wait, don't refresh. You made a typo. Let's go back. Let's fix it. That's the most annoying part. Accuracy, typing accuracy. And ChatGPT will help you with that because it will, mm -hmm. when it types, it will type accurately. Now the code mm -hmm. might not compile, but at least there won't be typos in the, in the, in the code. <laughs> okay. Let's say, uh, do we have some more comments because regarding time? We do. We do. We have so. comments from Max. Maybe we give the GPT the scenario or business domain, ask it to write Gherkin statements for us to start doing TDD. I should test this. This has been tested. The problem is that it will quickly. So what, what's the problem? The problem is that you need to have a human involved to get enough context to really learn, okay, why are we building this feature? Okay. Why do we need this? Why do we, right? So my response from a human, if I prompt, if I task a human with doing this, I wouldn't expect the human to be able to do it because my, my expectation from them would be, I give them this task and I have to pair with them and they would actively ask me questions. So the thing that I, the thing that I lack, let's say from ChatGPT, is that when I prompted something, it'll never stop and ask me a question. It'll never ask yeah. what we just, if I prompted to do something, it will never say, oh, Dennis, that's actually quite broad. Do you mean this way or that way? It never prompts me. It never asks me a question. And it is that inability to have a conversation with me like that, that really prevents it from being useful. Because when, I tell it, I... because when I tell it to do something stupid, I would like it to stop and ask me, Hey, Dennis, that's a bit yeah, yeah. wide. Do you want it this way or that way? There's quite a few, where do you want me to go with this? But first, I never thought about it like this, but this is actually a very important point. So I have a discussion, but it's more like I am the person asking. I'm correct all the time, but, but yeah, I like don't get real feedback. Don't do this. You know? Don't do this. It's like, yeah. it's like talking to a child. It's don't touch that thing. <laughs> don't lick the power outlet. I said, don't lick the power outlet. That, that's the kind of conversation I have with ChatGPT. Mm -hmm. But really what I would want to have is have a conversation where it stops and it's become skeptical and it asks me a question. It's opinion, actually. And it has an opinion and it has state and context and that it carries that state and context with me. And I think... The sort of more IDE integrated tools uh, have this, but then even then I would ask it, Hey, I want to refactor something. Mm -hmm. And the factoring tools, for example, in IntelliJ are extremely good 
Now, if I ask ChatGPT to refactor this function, it has to go and find all occurrences of this function and refactor it correctly. Now, a refactoring tool is precise enough to find all of them and fix it. And then ask me a question. Okay, is this what you meant? Yes or no? ChatGPT won't be able to do that. It might give me a suggestion, but it, it doesn't help me manipulate seven or 10 different files at the same time and then ask me for feedback. It's very, it's not optimized for that kind of workflow. And that's the thing that's missing. That's the thing that it, that's missing for it to, to really replace the use case that Max mentioned, to, to, to replace the use case that I think Grant mentioned earlier where regarding code reviews and pull requests. And there's also Grant's other, yeah, it, it was this one. Can you get it to read issues and code review the change test to ensure it finds everything, i.e. fields or validation rules or tests without involving other devs? I would say no, because it is prone to hallucination. And I would rather use Kodana or SonarCube or CodeScene to do this that have a more mathematical sort of static analysis background, mm -hmm. uh, less so an AI one. What I would like to do is I would like SonarCube to find the problem. And then I would like an AI to respond to SonarCube finding the problem and then create a suggestion. I would say that, that would um, tools like SonarCube will use AI in the future in a yeah. very specific, very trained way. Yes. And um, as soon as this happens, it does make Slightly sense. Slightly integrated with some SaaS ecosystem like yeah. Bitbucket or GitLab, where okay, but, it, it will also give you a button where it says, yes, I trust the AI. This is a good decision. Yes, come exactly. In. But you should not use a general AI, a personal general AI to do everything for you. Because if ChatGPT was not made for that, Mm -hmm. And um, you can ask it to do that maybe, and it will give you some form of output, but it's not very specialized. There is a lot of context and training missing. So I wouldn't, I would say we should differentiate between specialized and special trained AIs, which is the idea of many of those mm -hmm. out there at the moment, those companies. And then it makes sense to use it. So IntelliJ will probably have, I think, was it the JetBrains AI, something like that? I, I read about that. I think so. so yeah. yeah. They are very I, specialized. I think, but I think it's those might work. I think it's based on Team City and Kodana. I'm not sure whether it's coding Team related City. or PR related. CICD, right? CICD with Jira, with, with their Jira equivalent. Yeah, the, it's the pipeline integration with the Taskman, I, I think. Um, it's it's basically a pipelining tool. It, it is the test running pipeline yeah. that has the, the, the static analysis code coverage and such and the, and the, the quality. Okay. Um, Raul mentions, let's assume we ask AI to summarize some document and blindly believe the results is perfect. It doesn't need a review by a proper professional. People think this way, humans won't be replaced. AI is a great tool to help us be more productive, not to replace us, just saying. I think, um, I think we're having the wrong discussion, really. The point isn't, the point isn't, is AI going to replace humans? The point is, AI is a luxury that only financially well-off organizations can afford. What are we going to do in a world where a software company that has access to AI competes with a software company that doesn't have access to AI? I think that's the question we should be asking. Because if AI will replace an engineer, all engineers would use ChatGPT. We use mm -hmm. Copilot. But now my question is, if Copilot at some point starts costing 500 euros per month, that is something a lot of engineers can't afford in all parts of the world. At that point, what, what do you do with job listings that say, Copilot X usage and proficiency mm -hmm. uh, mandatory. Like they can't practice it if they didn't have prior experience with it. 
the company might still pay for it, but if they don't know how to prompt it, it might become a skill on its own. The question is where will you learn it? Because this is now a proprietary closed source tool that you either have it and you're using it all the time and you're doing, you're learning from it, or you don't have it and you're, you're not really seeing how well-performing teams are using it. And, and in a way, that's that was the motivation for today's session. Like but we wanted but, to share ideas of how high-performing teams are sharing. But I would, I would, I see it a little different actually. So mm-hmm. let's keep it a little bit simpler. So the, mm-hmm. the question was about documents, so content writing, for example, emails, mm-hmm. or something like that. And when we have, let's say, when we write something for an audience for email group or something like that in, in a business area don't no, it's basically not contextual now so if you just write something for other people mm-hmm. and we see the current let's say the evolution of the quality thinking so when we say it's social media and all this kind of stuff the overall quality drops when you take a look at video creation and stuff like that so you can create videos already on an average level and people will consume you can just take videos mm-hmm. with your phone and people will watch it. You can just type a one-liner and will bet- perform better than a well-written article. So when we use AI to speed it up, people will use the bad output of an API, mm-hmm. uh, of an AI. Pretty, They will accept it on some point because the overall quality is always dropping. It's not raising the bar. Mm-hmm. And this is where I say when it comes to so let's say mass production of things or things which needs to be repeatedly created in those kind of things, the chore things, chores, chores, yeah. the chores, they will mm-hmm. be replaced. So don't make a mistake here. Those chores mm-hmm. will be replaced. We will see more content creators using AI. We will see more AI replacing programmers. So not software developers, but programmers. coders. Yeah, people coders. who write code rather than solving all the chore work will be replaced because the overall except we see that with app development as well. So for mm-hmm. ten years ago, I mean, app uh, development was high quality. Now it's MVP. You know? Adrian, do you know what you know? Do you know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of frameworks. So in the in the early two thousands, after the dot com bubble, we had this huge influx of general purpose frameworks. Things like the precursors to Spring, and we, we had Hibernate, the ORM, spring up. And then every language had a clone of Hibernate. We had Doctrine and PHP. We had some, we had Flask, and then we had the MVC frameworks. And then we had all the various different sort of WordPress clones and Django clones and Ruby on Rails clones. Like we had all these sort of general purpose things popping up. And it created this craze, even now with React, where it's just a general purpose framework. The problem is the general purpose framework doesn't solve any problem really well because it's general purpose, mm-hmm. right? So it doesn't serve any business very well other than the framework creators, right? So the, the real gist is, can you take a general purpose framework and make it specific to your company with general purpose frameworks written by somebody else? Mm-hmm. The answer is always no. So that would be also be the case with general a general language models. Let's say I don't want to I don't want to talk about AGI right now, but because we don't really know what that will look like. But for language models, the question isn't so much is it reliable. The question is, it is trained to be general purpose. Can it be specialized to my business to my problem? Can it create a version of itself that serves me more than it does its let's say general 
corpus of training material? I would say yes. The question is sure, yes. So this is the, the trend. Yeah, but if the answer is yes, how much does that cost? How much time does that take? And how many businesses out of the millions of businesses out there can really afford to do so and have a net positive benefit to doing so? That's the real question. And I would say not many. Right so, now, so you could, or I think you could right now go to OpenAI, create a business account there, as far as I know, and use the API to learn your own models already. That was a, um, a request we had yes. think, seven but months ago. That is ago a already. very expensive premium feature. Will that mm -hmm. produce a net benefit more than what it costs for your company? I, I'm pretty sure that most, especially traditional contexts, won't have a benefit from that because. The traditional, let's say, businesses, they are reliant on traditional business. So, yeah, let's say the technical traditionals are relying okay, on Hold on. Grant is doing it. Grant is doing it. Okay, so Grant, if you could share your context, like in what yeah. context does it make sense to you? It's free. And it's free. Interesting. Okay. About the enterprise one? Okay, no, it can't possibly be free. Are we talking about the same thing? I have it in good faith that the enterprise OpenAI API integration is not free. But maybe this warrants a further investigation. We have some there. delay, Grant. Might you, can you yeah. please give us some context in form of a lo longer uh, comment and we will show mm -hmm. it. Uh, okay, we have uh, 15 more, not really, but some more minutes. minutes. Yeah. Um, I would, I like would say we, we just uh, um, settle this then with that comment. Uh, yeah, so Grant mentions this is GPT-R5 Turbo. Okay. So as you see that Grant here, Grant Mill is a specialist. So if you're looking for some help, yeah. maybe get in connection with him and start tossing him some questions. I will definitely explore this because I was not aware mm -hmm. this was so available. Let's wrap this topic up. Actually, do you mind if I just share one more comment? Yeah. Aravind had a good suggestion. Adrian and Dennis, can you share your experience on how? No, that's not the one. That's not the one. That's not the one. Ooh, that uh, was a question I thought as well. No, it was a comment. He said he has a tool. There we go. That's the one. For personal email summarization, mm -hmm. I use Nathan's, or is this Notions? Notion? Nathan's? Nathan's email trigger OpenAI Notion, it Notions. Date, Notion database to summarize my emails. Notion runs locally on my machines, or Nathan runs locally on my machine. Interesting. I was not aware of this. But this is worth exploring. Again, I might not want the email trigger and then give all my emails to Notion. Like that's my concern. Not whether this is possible, but what what are this what are the privacy concerns here? But this is interesting. This is in reply to the to the discussion we have with Anjana and the emails and the summarization. Mm -hmm. So I, I wouldn't do this because of law. We have some contracts with our clients, and if I get an email of my client. I need to make sure that this isn't used it by anyone else. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's already, uh, let's say, a shadow thing to even use something like Office 360 at yeah. this point. Yeah, no, never mind. Okay. That's also the reason, by the way, why LinkedIn is banned in Russia. A lot of people don't know this. And I there's also I issues with Google banned. Drive in China, in China. Okay. So we have talked today about will ai replace developers and i would say clearly no so n not developers and not engineers for me a synonym in that case mm -hmm. but coders 
let's say the coding part. If we imagine ourselves like 20 years ago, I will start mm -hmm. to learn to code and I will do this for the next two, three, four decades. That was possible for me, maybe for you, for me. But mm -hmm. when you start today with coding, you might not do this when you retire anymore. I, I say that this will change. I, I don't know when, I think no one knows when this will happen. But on some point in time, we will see a shift towards more automation-driven, more no-code-driven solutions driven by AI to mm -hmm. basically have this, feed, this pure feedback cycle of business idea, market fit, feedback, and loop this as soon as you have something. And we software developers will be part of that loop somewhere, but we won't code it because we are too slow for that. We humans are not the fastest programmer. So AI can do it faster than us, but at this moment, it's not good enough to do that. But it's only a matter of time. And probably it's sooner as we think, in my opinion. So this is just my personal opinion. Yeah, but with how fast it's evolving, it's going to be possibly next year, yeah. possibly it will be there. So when I, give, when I can give actually a recommendation is when you are a software developer, focus more on the overarching development skills than mm -hmm. the actual programming skills. They are still important, but you will learn them on the fly anyway, but focus on the software development areas. Read something like the modern software developer, read something like Accelerate, those kinds exactly. of- Exactly. We have a book club, by the way, that you can join, yep. that, that connects a lot of oh. it's the Crafting Tech Teams book club. Uh, no, we oh, actually have a pause in December, oh. but we do have a social, we have, do have a social event on December 14th, the last one this year. And we will primarily be putting together a list of books and we will be mm -hmm. voting on which books we'll be reading in January, February, and March. So if you would like to chip in on that, there's a link to join the Slack in every one of my Crafting Tech Teams emails in the footer. So if that's something that interests you and you would want to reach out to your... We get all of... We have about 60 people in the community right now and about five to 10 people make it to every session. Mm -hmm. And for all the newcomers, I do host a speed reading workshop that will help you navigate the, the group a little bit better to make it more time efficient. I should join it as a slow reader. No. <laughs> yeah, you should. You're very um, welcome, Adrian. So uh, I would have a question to the audience. So as I said in the very beginning, our tech journey, which is the new brand for the show, Dennis and me and Camilla, is doing every Wednesday and Thursday every week. So we need, of course, to have some suggestions for guests, for topics. And this is actually something which we're really curious about. So what would you like us to discuss? So, of course, we need to be eager to discuss that and excited about mm -hmm. it as well. Otherwise, it won't work. But make us some suggestions. So maybe you have followed already what our topics are. So we're going over things like DevOps, mm -hmm. like AI today, engineering culture in general, junior, yeah. average stuff. So we have tomorrow, for example, the idea of why we should focus on the average developer. Mm -hmm. and how a, a junior is seeing his career, how a senior is seeing career, those kind of topics. So suggest mm -hmm. us topics you'd like us to talk about. If you think you should join this show as a guest, tell us we can talk about that. If, if everything is right, we actually can do that. And the other thing of my side would be, of, of our side would be, we like to, as we said in the beginning, as well, to step up this game of the audience a little bit and going yep. to, um, let's say, some form of, events we do with let's say the regulars so dennis is calling them regulars the people who are joining the show regularly so we want to give you the chance to network 
So we have several ideas about that, having internal events, having a platforms like GetherTown using, uh, using yeah. that as a conference center where we, uh, for example, once a month or once to, uh, two months, I don't know, some form of frequency to get those people together, form a real community around that our tech journey and involve mm -hmm. you even more to make this really audience driven. And for that, we need your feedback. So we are always open to receive your feedback. Just get into onto LinkedIn and shoot us some messages and we will respond to that and we will discuss that internally, how we can put that into our timeline. So to give you, to give you some ideas, what we had in mind was perhaps having a fireside chat where you get to be on stage and you present some cultural improvement mm -hmm. that you made in your company, or maybe you're presenting an MVP of some kind. And what were the struggles if you're in a startup or SMB? Like what, what worked really well for you, like a mini conference. Another option might be that we might have VIP seats in these calls, and then you might be able to just have an audio channel to us or maybe a video channel to us and mm -hmm. ask, uh, have a conversation with us live on stream while there's also a more wider audience passively participating. Or even maybe have some paid seats for when we have a guest on, and then you could have like VIP prioritized questions to the speaker. Maybe you would want you could have uh, a conversation with them because a lot of our speakers also mention it's it's a bit stressful being live, but it also opens up this avenue of oh they get to speak to their core audience directly, and if we can up the bar and mm -hmm. raise the standards there then we might be able to facilitate that for you as well. So you, if you suggest a guest and we bring them on, you might be mm -hmm. able to then come on the show and actually ask them a question in person, maybe as audio, maybe as like a calling in and having it that way. We, we can uh, even we invite of, you uh, here in, can into, invite into you here, our streaming yeah. software and uh, for yeah. 15, 20, 30 minutes, I don't know, and yeah. get you on the show. So our goal for next year is to definitely create a audience-driven show. Absolutely. And this year was, I don't know, we had seven, eight, nine sessions. I don't know together. I don't really know. But oh, a this lot was more. a lot more. A lot more. Okay. Yeah, so I, yeah. Great, actually. But um, so <laughs> we found, let's say we were testing, we were prototyping, we were trying things out and getting into those things. And uh, next year we want to, we settled for us that we want to do that. So it's a great thing for us to do. LinkedIn has become different for us because... Yeah. We, had, we have so many great connections now, and I'm happy to have those connections, to talk to the people. I don't like to just post and go away and have received some shallow comments. Mm -hmm. It's good to have, for example, if one of, especially the regulars, let's take this term, if those posts on my posts, it's way more valuable for me than just someone else. It could be everything, but this person is already, there's a relationship already, which I really like. For, for context, so about there are 40-ish people right now in chat live with us. So it's the equivalent of twice a week, we fill up a little classroom and there's 40 people in the audience. Mm -hmm. You know, that already is a, let's say a high quality level of engagement, much better than me posting something and getting a hundred likes on a post. And then mm -hmm. it's just, it's just vanity metrics. Like this already, and you being able to interact with us and us being able to answer your questions and get your questions and even have your you drive the conversation with your questions. That's amazing. That's that's the reason why we're doing this in this format. And, yeah. and we're, we're going to learn and we're going to improve and <laughs> make some mistakes. <laughs> but it's definitely going to be setting us up for huge success in 2024. Mm -hmm. So we have uh, one more actually, Yeah, we have one more minute. I would like to actually make a quick shout out. So 
Tiger, do I have it in my clipboard? Yes. So Tiger Abrodi, Abrodi, mm -hmm. I don't know how to pronounce his name, but Tiger and Zarbek Stark, Zarbek Stark. So they are having another podcast and not another conversation about AI, but specifically for engineers. So I think there, it, there, it's more about how you would use it, copilot, et cetera, et cetera. Hands on, yeah. And hands on. And it's in exactly one hour. So I will now drop the link in chat. And if you'd want to have a little bit more hands-on engineering focused discussion, you can go join them and tell them that you came from... It's not an affiliate link. <laughs> it's not an affiliate link. It's not a sponsorship. <laughs> this is just something that I accidentally discovered that they are also having a AI stream tonight. And it's going to be exactly in one hour. Just tell them that <laughs> you came, you arrived from Adrian and Dennis's stream from our tech journey. And if you want to continue your AI discovery there, feel free to do so. Yeah. Again, this is not sponsored. This is just something yeah. that <laughs> we're just... And if you are, okay, um, about the follow-ups, maybe uh, not everyone is aware of that. So this is a common show we run together, but we both have newsletters and content about this so we have of course the clips of the thing but uh, of this show but what we do as well is rewriting about our findings during the session outside of the session and normally have larger articles around that two times yeah. a week each so it might be interesting to subscribe to those newsletters we would be very happy so maybe uh, we can just type that in oh, wait a second I just, oh, we got a banner for that adrian oh uh, yeah for... do we oh that's that's just mine Oh. oh no, you don't have it. I don't have it. Okay, um, yours. Do it. So we have two, each one of us as authors has our own newsletter and then run. This mutual brand doesn't have a newsletter and I don't think it will have one for now. We just co-post on mm -hmm. each of our sub stacks. Adrian does tend to cover the Wednesday shows, like these shows more often. I tend to cover the Thursday shows more often. It also aligns very well with our coaching that we do in our main jobs. Adrian covers more sort of C-level and executive level. I cover more sort of everything in between on the sort of more hands-on leadership, tech leads, et cetera, engineering managers. Okay. Good. So enough advertising for today. Tomorrow we have another show. So if you like uh, yes. 16 CET, same time tomorrow. Um, tomorrow will be about, about the average. yeah, the average developer. How to bridge the gap between junior developer to self-managed professional, not just engineer, just professional. We keep talking about you needing to have skills more broadly than just writing code. How does that happen? How can you nurture that as a manager? How can you set expectations as if you're the person in question, if you're the engineer in question? And that's going to be tomorrow's session. Okay. Uh, let me quickly give you the link and then we are done. So this is yes. the link for the session tomorrow. We hope we see you there again. All for the community. Yeah. And uh, so thank you very much. I think uh, we've learned quite a lot. So I, I have learned quite a lot today, to be honest. Okay. And um, thank you, everyone, for that. Thank you, thank you, Dennis. Making a grand entrance. <laughs> Hello. Baby one. Okay, we got to wait for the baby. Baby one. <laughs> baby one. You're, you're baby two. You're baby B. Just in time to say hello. It's this daddy time. I have a co-host. This is Gaia. This is my co-host. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we can sign off now. <laughs> okay, thank you, everyone. So, see Hang you on, tomorrow. You. Thank you so much for everything, and see you next time. So, some elevator music. See you then. Bye bye. Ciao, ciao.